Happy holidays. I don't know the etymology, but holidays comes from holy days, you know? Or is that just a speculation? <laughs> okay, Google, what's the etymology of holidays? <laughs> okay, well, welcome. Thank you for taking your valuable time to come. It is my good fortune to be amongst you because uh, I moved downtown about a month or month and a half ago, and I don't have as much company as I did when I lived on the property. So it's separation makes the heart grow fonder, and it's important that we have a place to come to talk about important things, spiritual things, and uh, nurture each other in our progressive path. I thought we could begin by, uh, it's a good practice sometimes just to step back. I was speaking with someone on the phone the other day, and because the holidays tend to be a more stressful time because of, I don't know, additional commitments that come up, family and uh, I guess if you're a retail person, it's a lot busier, so, you know, traffic and traveling is um, stressful because you get off your routine. You're, I mean, it's nice to visit your old friends and family, but uh, it can be a little stressful. So, uh, but I thought if we just like unplug for a moment and just, you know, when I was a kid, I used to have this giant map of the universe. I was really into the planets and all that, NASA. And if we could somehow other jettison, you know, into outer space, you know, and look at the earth in relationship to the rest of the cosmos and see how tiny it is. I mean, it seems real big as we're right we're right on it. But if we were able to step way, way back, I mean, way back, um, you know, we'd have a different perspective on our, our problems and our stress. Because, uh, you know, we tend to be, as George Harrison said, I, me, mine, you know, we're, we're very, there's a song, I, me, mine, we're very you know, our life is the center of the universe kind of a thing. But, you know, we're not really. Uh, what does that have to do with love and perfect love in an imperfect world? I just thought, um, I don't know, we need to begin perhaps just to consider like our, our perspective is just very, very tiny. And our ability to recognize and um, extract love, perfect love, uh, it requires more than just our own effort. It, it, of course, grace, mercy is a strong theme in many traditions, religious traditions, but um, uh, perfect love in an imperfect world, and, and maybe imperfect world is, is maybe not the, the most accurate. I would, a few years ago, I don't know, back in uh, maybe the 70s, 
There was a big push to natural food and pure, like the labeling shifted to natural and pure was... Um, so I, I thought more in the sense of the world is not imperfect, but it's unnatural for us in the sense that we want to experience uh, forever existence. We don't want to die. I was just, my father's in hospice right now, so I just had to fly back to Minneapolis and see him. So I confronted, you know, with this phenomenon of leaving this world, this body. And uh, it's unnatural because as eternal souls, we never die. So, so what's going on? You know, what's dying? And what's really attractive? What are we loving? Because the body, once the soul leaves the body, nobody loves a dead body. So what we're really loving, you know, is the soul. And that soul is part and parcel of, of, of God, the Supreme Soul. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna describes mamayam so jivaloke, that this soul is, is a part and parcel of God. So the innate nature of God being eternal, full of knowledge, full of bliss, and being a part and parcel of God, we have that same quality, not in the same quantity, but same quality. So to be in this world is, um, and there's another important verse from a, a book called the Ishopanishad, which describes that, that God is perfect and complete, and everything that emanates from God is, is perfectly equipped as a complete whole. So this world is actually, it's perfect in its design. Now for this, it, it's considered to be an inferior energy of God, it's not conscious, but it's perfect in its design to facilitate our desires to um, be a proprietor, an enjoyer, a master, as opposed to being a, a loving servant. So it's perfect in that design that it frustrates us in our attempts to be someone we're not. So, I was thinking also about, you know, integrity and balance in the sense that if our behavior doesn't match our beliefs, we're out of balance. We're not whole. So either your behavior has to change to match your beliefs or you have to adjust your beliefs. You know, there's, there's some adjustment has to be made. Otherwise, we're just, we feel... Um, unsettled. We're not peaceful. And uh, Krishna says, how can there be happiness without any peace? So, um, and the perfect love is described as, uh, there was a great sage named Sutta Goswami who was addressed by an amazing assembly of spiritualists and they asked him, Sutta Goswami is a very learned sage, and he, he had studied all the vast scriptures of the Vedas, which describe various means of self-realization for different types of people. It's not a one-size-fits-all type of thing. So 
these sages said, you've studied all these revealed scriptures and, and you, you, you've, can you, can you distill it down? Because we are now in this age of Kali, which is characterized by a short life and lots of distraction, quarrel, tension, discord. Um, so he was asked, can you distill it down? Like, what is the essence of all the vast Vedic scriptures? Because we really don't have time in this life to, to go systematically through all the various stages of, of spiritual life that's recommended for so many different types of people. Because in this age, uh, we're a little handicapped spiritually handicapped. Um, the modes of nature, the, the environment that we're in is, is permeated with passion and, and, and which inevitably, if not uplifted to goodness, degrades or deteriorates to ignorance. That passion is actually a transformation of our original pure love for God upon entering this material world, the soul's pure love in contact with this passion or this desire to enjoy separately from God, it's transformed into what's called kama, material desire, or lust. And when that, that material desire is frustrated, um, then one becomes angry. And Prabhupada, I was listening to a talk and he was saying it's like being in a, foot, a football, being kicked from one end to the other, from lust to anger, lust, anger. we're frustrated, you know, we're trying to enjoy a temporary situation, which is unnatural to us. And then when we become frustrated, we become angry, we become bitter, resentful, stressed out. And that was my realization lately, because I've been going through a lot of stress. And, you know, we could, we could, you could point to some immediate cause, but what's the remote cause? You know, just like a, like a train. You know, every car is being pulled by the preceding car, but ultimately it's the locomotive that's pulling everything. So what's the, what's the root cause of, our, of my stress is that I was, I was not whole, I was not being uh, integrated with my beliefs. My, my, my actions were not uh, in line with my beliefs. So that was the, real, that was the underlying stress. But, that, but it just comes out in all these other, well this, you know, you know, just like when people, you know, fly off the handle for some, some apparent insignificant thing. You know, somebody cuts you off and you're driving and you just, wow, you know, wig out. Is it really that little incident or is it just the building up of so many things in our lives that's stressing us out? So that was my self-diagnosis was that is my relate, my love for God, my, I was, it was not in the forefront of my consciousness. It was like I had another agenda. So I was distracted. So that was what was really going on. And uh, 
I thought about this unconditional love that, well, getting back to the famous sage who was asked to distill, you know, and, and he was asked a number of questions. That was the first question. So, so his reply was, Savai pum sam paro dharmo yato bhakti radhoksaje yayatma supasit. How is it? Ahoitaki yabhatiyata yayatma supasiriti. That the, the supreme dharma, uh, occupation or duty or religious life or many definitions for dharma, it actually comes from a Sanskrit root, which means that which, which sustains one's existence. So Prabhupada, in this particular commentary, he said he, he, he referred to it as occupational duty, dharma. And, but any, anything that we do, if it provokes an attraction for um, loving devotional service to God, that's the perfection of, of our work, of our, of our duty. And that, in order to completely satisfy one, that, that loving service has to be unmotivated and uninterrupted. That's unconditional or perfect love. It's a pretty tall order. Yeah. And uh, how do we become adept at anything? It's by practice. So I, you know, I've been reflecting a lot about, just like Thanksgiving was, you know, gratitude theme, and, and in general, forgiveness, gratitude, love, how do we develop these things? They don't just fall out of the sky. <laughs> we have to practice. And, but it's innate, just like Prabhupada gives the example of Rupa Goswami, a great uh, medieval saint, described that the ability to walk is innate in a child. And it's simply by practicing they develop, you know, their ability to walk. If that innate ability wasn't there, wouldn't happen. So we have uh, dormant love for God within us. It's just covered. And to reawaken that, it just means we have to practice. And but how do we practice? That is, you know, really what the the essence or the substance. I was. It's interesting. I was walking this morning downtown, and there was a these, uh, what do you call it, sandwich signs, what do you call it? Sandwich boards. Yeah. It said, Redemption Church. You know, the big arrow was like three blocks away, and then I, you know, I followed the arrow to the next one, and it was this, uh, there's this big school downtown called the Safford School, and this church is, uses one of their auditoriums, and so I thought, well, let me check it out, see what they, they got going on. And I walked in and I thought the first thing I'm going to sort of gauge this whole thing was how do they greet me? And they were busy setting up for Christmas time and it was, it was quite a flurry of activity. There were a lot of kids and this and that. It was, was kind of cool. And I walked in and I was just sort of like looking around like you know, where do I go? You know, and there was a little table and I walked up and there was some information and then a, a gentleman came up and I said, are you the greeter? And he says, well, sometimes. He was really bad. And we just started talking. So, you know, what's it all about? You know, and he just started talking and he was a very sincere person. And, uh, and I thought, um, 
there was, I felt a fellowship. Like, here's a person who is at, you know, a different tradition, but he's pursuing God. He's, there's a fellowship of practitioners. And I, immediately, I felt, a, felt an immediate connection with him. And we were talking and talking, and then, and then the subject came up of substance and form because it was kind of a, uh, I don't know, Lutheranish, Presbyterianish, <laughs> what do you call it? Um, reformed, right? Reformed, reformed. Yeah. So he was kind of emphasizing, you know, we're not so into the rigid, you know, rituals and tradition and this and that. And they said, but we do sing some, you know, and I said, yeah, that's form and substance. And he, it was like this light just went off in his head and he just went, wow, that's pretty interesting. And I said, yeah, because without the substance, the form, you know, and, and then we gave an example of a medicinal capsule. Sometimes you get capsules of medicine. So there's a delivery system. The capsule is just the delivery system, but it, you know, the medicine is, you know, the little granules that are inside. The medicine is the important thing, not the capsule. So religious rituals and um, that's sort of the delivery system. You know, it's the substance is love and devotion. But but how do we express that love and devotion? There, there's practical activities. You know, so it's um, you, it requires both, but of the two, the substance, the devotion is, is most important. Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita, if you just offer me a, a, with, with devotion a leaf, a fruit, flower, water, I will accept it. It's, he, he wants the devotion. So that cultivation of love and devotion, I, I was, you know, like I said, I'm going through a little stressful time and and I was sitting yesterday morning and this morning, and I thought, like, why do I have such a vacant heart? <laughs> why do I just not feel so gratitude and, and love for people and God? And, and I thought, well, I've got to practice. <laughs> so I just made this, what do you call it, a, a deliberate effort to think about people, my people here, my family, and especially people that I don't particularly care for, who've, in my estimation, have abused me, treated me. I thought, I really need to work on my love for them, the people who I am upset with, it's kind of like, you know, when you have a list of things to do, you know, do the thing. Well, no, that's, I shouldn't say that. If you do the thing that, when you have most energy, do the thing that you don't want to do, you know, first, and then the other stuff is cake, you know. <laughs> but, um, but I just, I just started thinking about all these people and other friends and family, and I just, and I just thought, please, um, I was praying to God that, you know, please uplift them and make their life successful. And then I, and it was sort of like an inner voice, if you will. I realized that my success in life is to 
because a rising tide lifts all boats. If I am happy and um, encouraged by others' progress, whether it be spiritual or material, especially spiritual, if I am rejoicing in others' progress, that is lifting me up. So, I mean, it's, you know, one, one friend of mine was saying, just small steps. I was sort of revealing my angst. And he said, small steps, small steps. You know, so I thought, I, I really need to, like, work on this. You know, like, I, I have to meditate on rejoicing in others' success. You know, just like a parent, you know, like when they see their their child, they, they even, they want the child to exceed whatever they've done. You know, it brings happiness in their heart. So, it's a simple thing, you know, and you know, I thought about something today, or, you know, what will I say? What, what new, you know, how can I keep everyone's attention? You know, something new. No, it's just get real. This is what is, this is what will satisfy us, you know, not so many achievements in the material world, because I remember there was someone who was saying, you never see someone's, you know, headstone, you know, John Smith, you know, most awesome CEO of, you know, XY company, you know, it's loving husband, caring father, you know, it's, you know, what, what are people going to remember us? And, uh, and, and maybe it's just, you know, the process of, you know, getting a little older, you realize what's really important, you know, it's, it's not about achieving something because it's, it's sort of like, I don't know, it's like some objective of, I don't know, like a game or something like what's the objective of the game, you know, to, you know, whatever, get to this point on the board or whatever. Remember that one game, the game of life, you know? So, you know, what is the, you know, what's the objective of our life? You know, it, it's to reawaken this pure, unconditional love for God. And, and that necessarily means for all living beings, because we, we began by saying we're all part and parcel of God. And the, the famous Examples, if you water the root of a tree, all the branches are satisfied. So by reposing our love in God, but that necessarily entails loving all living beings who are part and parcel of God. So that's the only thing that, according to the Vedas and my limited experience, that's only going to satisfy the heart and make us peaceful and, and, and thus happy. Everything else is just uh, uh, just like chasing a dream or something. You know, it's just it's just an imagination. You know, it's over here, and you run over there, and just no, 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 it's over here, and, and we're just running after you know these illusory conceptions of what's going to be happiness. You know, but but all along, it's just just purify ourselves that's the process of chanting Hare Krishna especially in this age that, that this love of God there's a great example that firewood through 
I'm not going to give you a, bio, a biology lesson, but somehow or other, through the process of photosynthesis, sunlight, you know, is transformed into, uh, you know, in the wood and, or in the tree, and it's, that energy is contained within the, the wood from photosynthesis. Synthesis. And then if it's, you can get really into it, you, that, that wood eventually gets pushed down into the ground, it becomes fossilized like coal, and then even farther it becomes oil. But that, that energy of the sun is stored within it. And it's when you bring the fire element into the association of that wood or coal or oil, that fire element comes out by association. So that dormant love of God that we have within us, when we come in contact with a personality who has love of God, pure devotee of God, or God himself in the form of his holy name, then by that association, that dormant love will awaken. So that, that's the process of devotional service, is, is reawakening that dormant love of God, and it's principally done through the association of pure devotees of the Lord who have that, that uh, perfect love. So, does anyone have a comment or a question or a reflection on anything? That's been spoken. Yes? Did you meet Prabhupada? Uh, not in his physical presence, form, but uh, he says, uh, if you want to know me, read my books. So I know him through his teachings. And I know him through his sincere followers who have a more intimate relationship than I do. And, and Lord Chaitanya describes that our, our aspiration is to become the servant of the servant of the servant. So um, this is more pleasing actually to Krishna and, and to, to take a role of being an assistant to the pure devotee. So, um, one example, Prabhupada's godbrother Sridhar Maharaj, he said, he, he said, like a telescope, it has many lenses in it. And there's a big lens on the end that, you know, where it goes out into space, and then there's a little, little lens down that you look at. So, the farther you go down, you know, then you can see things far away. You know, if you try to look in the big end, <laughs> you can't see. So, but no, I didn't meet him personally, physically, but you know, thank you for asking. Yes, another rule. You're talking about how important it is to associate with pure devotees. You know, if you're lucky enough to find one, how do you, what's the best way to associate with a devotee, you can't just really walk in and say, yeah. Well, Rupa Goswami, as we mentioned earlier, he, he's described there the three different levels of devotees and the way we respect someone who chants the holy name, we respect within the mind, someone who's taken seriously to the process of 
take a spiritual initiation, we offer respects, you know, with our body and we develop friendship. And then someone who's very advanced, a pure devotee, we, we especially try to hear because their um, sound vibration is the most powerful. And Prabhupada describes that the most important quality of any person is, is their speech. So, a fool remains undiscovered as long as he doesn't speak. So, by hearing, but with an appropriate attitude, a very ardent desire to make spiritual progress in, in a submissive mood. Like if, if, if we think we already know stuff, how can you learn, you know? So it's, it's principally about hearing with the proper attitude and, and then try to, to render some menial service if possible, humble service. And just as we were saying, Yes, this association with pure devotees, but what is, you know, to be the servant of the servant of the servant, you know, is, is, is more endearing than direct service. So we have an opportunity to endear ourselves to great saints and sages, even those that have physically departed this world, um, by being uh, instruments of their grace. That's also another meditation I was trying to think about, is that, um, you know, to be, to be one in purpose is, is love. To be one in purpose, not that you amalgamate into to one, but there's two people, but they have one purpose. So all the great saints, their only business, they're just concerned for the welfare of the fallen souls in this world. So to the extent that we adopt whatever level we can, uh, to, the, to the extent that we can, you know, at least just be an instrument of their grace, then we will feel a very close connection, even though they're physically departed, just as we feel an intimate connection with God. So these great saints, these pure devotees, they're living all around us. We may not physically see them, but by adopting their, their spirit, their mood, and trying to be an instrument of their, their grace, then, then we will feel nurtured and uplifted. Okay, it's 6.32, thank you very much. We'll have some more kirtan chanting and then some nice vegetarian prashad feast. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.